Good evening and welcome to Pastor's Class. It's good to have you joining us this evening to continue our walk through the Apostles' Creed. As we work towards the end of the Apostles' Creed, we'll be uh, working towards just the last few phrases. We just have a couple more weeks walking through this study. It's good uh, to have each one of you joining us through Facebook Live and through our live stream tonight. Thankful you're uh, here to be a part of this Bible study as we look through what the Bible particularly says about the church. And these will be interesting days to discuss that topic. I'd like to take a moment and pray for us before we jump in and look at the Apostles' Creed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this great hope and joy that we have found in the body of Christ. Lord, even now as we're not able to physically meet as a church, we are thankful for the fellowship of believers and the bond we have together. And Lord, we pray that as we have these few moments in this, this study, it would be encouraging to us, strengthening to our faith, and grow us as believers. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we've walked through the creed over the past few weeks, we've walked through history. We've the beginning of the creed, it speaks about affirmations about God, particularly things that happened in the past, Christ's death and burial and resurrection. Then it moves to things that are happening at the present, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Then it moves to things of the future, that Jesus will one day come back to judge the living and the dead. So those are all things, affirmations about God from the past, present, and future. However, this this will shift to affirmations about God's people. If you look at the creed, where we end, last week we looked at, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. This week we'll look at these two phrases, the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of the saints. And then the last few weeks we'll look at the rest of this. But in particular, these will be speaking about affirmations about God's people. And in particular this week, the church is what we want to speak about. You know, the church is something that uh, has its fair share of challenges that are in this world from many people who believe that their own faith is their individual faith and they don't need a church and they think they can function as Christians apart from being in church. A lot of people think that way. Um, in many ways today in our culture, the church has been maligned and, and thought of in terms of we, we've had our fair share of challenges from some of the controversies that have dealt with the way people have dealt with abuse and some of those regards in, in the church. And so a lot of people look at the church with skepticism and a bit of hesitation. You know, another way people uh, treat the church is they minimize it. They think, well, I don't need a church. I, I, it's not just so much about my individual faith, but who, who needs a church for their own spirituality? And in fact, they look at it just like a local club they might would join. And then finally, you know, we have a current challenge for us. As the corona, coronavirus has come on the scene, uh, we've been banned from coming together as a body, which we're used to. The church historically has done every single week. Now we can't gather physically, and now we are forced to be creative with technology just like the one here. Normally this class is done in a room full of people, and now we're doing it simply right here with a video camera to you watching online. So, so there are a fair share of challenges to the church, but we as Christians know that the church is strong and vibrant and the, the church will overcome. There's nothing going to come up against the church that it will not overcome. And so as a part of that tonight, I want to walk through a few things with you uh, to speak particularly about the church. So I want to look first at the foundation of 
the church. In, in particular here, what are the things that make up the basis for it? Why is it that it's placed in this creed, and what does the Bible say about it? So first I want to point to the fact that the church is founded by Jesus. Jesus is the one who starts the church. It's, this isn't just some organization that we've come up with and think it's a creative idea to reach people for Christ. It's something that Jesus actually created. We have that here in Matthew chapter 16. I'd like to, to read it to you, uh, beginning in verse 15. It says, He said to them, Who do you say that I am? Jesus is talking here. And he says, Simon Peter replied, He says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Here we see Jesus starting the church. And in, in fact, uh, what you believe about Jesus, in fact, says what you believe about the church because Jesus is the one founding it on people that confess he is Lord. In other words, it's his idea. This isn't something we just think is a good idea. It's something that Jesus has actually established uh, for the way in which Christians should operate. And he cares so much about the church and because Jesus cares about it, we should care. In fact, Jesus will say that, that he purchased uh, the church with his own blood. And he speaks about saving people. He's not just talking about saving individual Christians. He actually speaks about his own blood bought the church. Intimately, he defines the church as, as the body of Christ. In, in other words, that Jesus sees the church as his own body, a dwelling place for his spirit. And ultimately, the church will be the instrument by which God brings the nations to himself. This is his means by saving and giving the gospel to the world. He's going to use the church. So this is something that was Jesus's idea. He founded it, but he also founded it on a confession. Let's look at it here. The second thing I want to point it to is it's founded upon a confession because it's not founded upon Peter in the sense of there will be this line of people following Peter that will be called popes that we will one day say that is what the church is founded upon. The, the, it's founded upon the confession Peter makes. Look at it with me there in Matthew 16. He says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So then Simon Peter replies, look at it, I'll point it on the screen. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So when Simon Peter says this, this becomes the rock that he places the church on. From this point on, this monumental confession will, will be the foundation for the church. Think about how when Jesus, when Peter says this, this changes all of history. This confession will now become the bedrock by which the church sits on. And, and so from this point on, the confession is the foundation, not Peter. And, it, and in fact, it won't be just Peter's confession. It will be any confessor in the sense of wherever you find people confessing this phrase, you find the church. Wherever you find people believing the gospel and believing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, you find the church. So when 
Jesus establishes it. He's the one who founds it. He places it upon believers, those that confess faith in Christ. Let me give you a third thing. It's also founded on truth. You know, this that particular phrase that we just gave there of Peter confessing this particular truth, it's something that the church cares for. Let me give you a verse that may point to this. First, uh, 2 Timothy 1.14, uh, it says this, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, we are to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In, in other words, we've been given this gospel truth, this confessing belief, and, and it's been handed us like, like a deposit or a treasure, and we are to pass this thing down, protecting it and making sure that it is carried on from generation to generation. In other words, it is founded upon a real truth. Confession's now something that we guard. We keep this confession with us. That's why we study something like the Apostles' Creed. When, when we're looking at these truths, it's actually pointing us to the fact that we believe these things. It is at the core of who we are is belief because we are confessors as a part of the church. Here's a fourth one. I hope this was encouraging in the midst of whatever storm we may be in, is the church is founded in power. The church is founded in power. Look down with me all the way down to verse, let's say 18. We'll read 18 here. When Peter makes this confession, uh, Jesus turns around and he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And notice what it says. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, I listed all kinds of challenges that the culture is placing up against the church. And you might start to think, you know, with us not able to meet anymore and what all is going on in our culture and what all the challenges we might face, can the church survive this? Well, let me tell you some good news here. We have 2,000 years of the church surviving a lot worse than this. And... I can tell you that no matter what comes up against the church, nothing will prevail a bit against Christ's church. Nothing can separate us. We just looked at this in Romans. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. There, there is nothing on earth that can possibly remove us from the love of Christ. Now, just to press that a step further, if you're a part of the church and you are a believer today and you sit around and you read a few minutes of the news and there's plenty of it and you start reading and it, it can become uh, terrifying in some ways as you read about all the things going on and particularly with the coronavirus and people that thought, well, we had modern medicine and we got this thing taken care of and there, there's nothing going to come up against us and now a lot of people are faced with their mortality. They're faced with death. But, but take great comfort today, church, because we stand here with great confidence. There's nothing that can create fear in us because no matter what, the church will prevail. This is uh, Moeller in the book that we've been walking through, Albert Moeller, who wrote the book on the Apostles' Creed, he talked about how there, in the book, he said, even though we as Christians may die, he, he used this phrase, he said, we die safely. He said, we as Christians don't fear death or life. 
that we know that no matter what, we'll die in safety into Christ. The church will not have anything prevail against it. So just be encouraged today. If you're a part of the body of believers and you look at the church and you look at our culture and you start to worry and start to fear, just know that all the way back from the very beginning when Jesus founded the church, he said, you know what? There's nothing that's going to impact my church. So just take great confidence in the fact that it is his church. It's also founded with authority. Let me give you one more uh, description of the church before we look at some of these phrases. Founded with authority, meaning that when it's given, the church is given, Jesus hands it over, he is actually giving over authority. Notice here in verse 19 what he says about the church. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. So Jesus has the keys. They're his. And he says, I'll give them the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth and shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He says, I'm going to give you these keys, the authority I have. I'm going to hand it over, not to Peter. He's handing it over to the confessors, and Peter's the first confessor. And at this point, it will be to the church. The church now has been granted authority on earth. Just like uh, back in that time, there might be a rabbi standing at the gate who might be um, adjudicating on different matters of the law. And with people, now that has been transferred to the church. Meaning, Jesus, who has authority, has given it to the church. You see, the church has authority. You may not always think of it this way. But the, the church has authority in our lives once we become believers. We are now subject to the authority of the Word of God that is preached in the church. So that when, even though that you can personally as a saint understand the Word yourself, it does not mean you don't sit under the authority of the preached Word. So when you come on Sunday and hear the Word preached, you sit under that authority in the local body. And even more than that, we are held accountable to, be, to one another. That's why we take church membership so seriously is because the church is accountable to one another. That's why Ephesians chapter 5 speaks about submitting to one another. You, the church isn't some consumer club where you go and get your needs met. While being true, the church does meet many of your needs. It's not simply there to fulfill all your needs. It's actually there as oversight in your life because the church has been given authority. It's not just, that's why we hold this so high. It's not just that you answer to Jesus. Jesus has then given the keys to the church by which then you submit to uh, Christ through the church. And so just, just like um, a parent has authority over a child, but the parent is submissive to Christ. So ultimately when the child submits to the parent, they're submitting to Christ. The same way it works in the church, just like the church submits to Christ, the church then has authority in the life of a believer to call us to holiness, to teach us the word. And so Jesus Christ has founded the church with power and authority in our lives so that we might become more holy. So let's look, up, look at a few of these phrases. Now that we've talked about the church and why it's important as confessing believers to have it in something like the Apostles' Creed, I'd like to look at a few phrases speaking about the identity of the church. A couple of these are in the creed. A couple of these historically had just been associated with the church. I'd like to walk through each one of them with you. The first uh, 
way that we would have identity in the church is the church is one, meaning there's only one church. And this is a bit difficult because we do have local churches. I understand that. And this is even made a little bit more challenging because there are different denominations. And so you might walk around and drive, just drive around for a few minutes and you'll see all kinds of different denominations out there that you might say there's all kinds of different churches. However, this is not institutional unity we're talking about. It's not that there is one particular church because oftentimes in history when the churches tried to make one global global church, it's resulted in heresy and error. It's led to some bad things. And so uh, what we've had over the years is each of these smaller churches are then denominations, but we still believe around the world, theologically, there is one church. There are, of all these churches, true churches, and there are false churches. And ultimately one day when Jesus comes to call the church to himself, there are certain ones of these that will all be included in this one church uh, with him. And there are ones that won't be because we believe in one church in all of history. In other words, this church carries through all of history. And then we believe in one church in all of the world. So everybody from around the world, nations and tribes and tongues and peoples all fit into this one global church. And so that's where we would hold to one church. Let me give you a second word here, holy. We believe the church is holy. That's why Jesus in John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, will, will pray that, that, he would, that the Lord would sanctify his church, that the Father would sanctify them, meaning that the church would become holy. That is, that's meaning that we are a set-apart people. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean we're striving to be perfect. We want to be holy. We aren't perfect, but we're trying to be. The difference really comes in the fact that the world is unrepentant of their sins. We as Christians are repentant of our sin and trying to follow Christ. So there begins to be this difference in our lives. And there may be times we fall into sin, but ultimately our lives are marked by holiness. So, so if you call yourself a member of a church, then you should be marked by holiness. That's why membership is so important that we hold it high. Because oftentimes if we, if we just call anybody a member of the church, whether they're a Christian or not, that's why we'd say you must be a confessing believer of Christ because the world's going to look on and say, do those people look like something different? And if we let anybody and everybody become a member of the church, then nobody can tell the difference between the church and the world. That's why a high view of membership actually makes it where the church is distinct and holy and different from the world. So we believe the church is holy. Here's another word, and probably the one that you read the phrase, and some of you maybe took a little hesitation on it, um, is the term Catholic or universal. The word I'll use is universal under my point, but the one we're talking about in the creed is when it actually says Catholic. It actually comes uh, originally from, a, there's a Latin term and there's also a Greek term that uh, feed into this that all means universal. And over time, the Roman Catholic Church took this term, and since they have one universal church all over the world, uh, took Roman, the Roman Church, and Catholic, global, and put, them to, put the two together and kind of took ownership of the term. However, they don't have exclusive rights to say this is the 
they are the only church. In fact, we would take this and make it lowercase c. If you notice the creed earlier when we were reading it, it wasn't uppercase c, it was lowercase c. That we just believe there is one universal church, meaning there are not multiple Christianities, there's one Christianity. There are not multiple gospels, there is one gospel that is for all time and for all people. And each local church is an embassy representing the final and greater kingdom that we'll be with with the Lord. And each and every local church that affirms the gospel will one day join with the marriage supper of the Lamb. This universal church all coming to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me give you uh, one more term, the fourth term traditionally used to describe the church is apostolic. Apostolic, meaning that it, it comes from a long line of teachers. Now, what I don't mean by this is that it comes from uh, Peter and then we have these popes in succession. However, that doesn't mean that it's not been this gospel that's been entrusted to the church and handed down over the years and passed along from saints. This is where in the book, uh, Moeller quotes Timothy George, and he says that his goal with church history was to connect the faith of Jesus to the faith of your grandmother. Because most times people will know the Bible and know Jesus, they'll know their grandmother, but they don't realize that there is a long line of saints that have stood in between the two, that have been faithful to the Lord. In fact, I don't want a faith that we came up with yesterday. I don't want to just invent something new. In fact, I want something that is old, that is weighty, that has been for all time and for all people and has been passed down from generation to generation. I want an old gospel, not something that's brand new and made up for today. So when we look at these terms here of a church that is one, that is universal, uh, one that is holy and one that is apostolic, that has been passed down, has come through the years to the saints. So let's look at this last phrase here is the communion of the saints. You see, the church is not a building. It's actually the fellowship of believers. If you look at the New Testament, every time you see a letter written, you'll see it to the church at Philippi. It, it will be to a group of people. It, it's not to a building. You don't see an address put in there. You see people. And if it doesn't mean more to you today, uh, there's not, not more of a time that it's clear that the church is not uh, the physical location of Hickory Grove. Even right now, we're not able to be here, but that doesn't mean that our church has ceased to exist. Many of you have given testimony of how you've been connected with so many different people and been encouraged by other believers, and this time, while being difficult, has been a real time of uh, connectedness to other church members. And so the church still exists even if the building is not where we're meeting because the church is a group of people. So let's just look at two groups here. Let's look at past saints and present saints, and then we'll wrap up our time together. First, let's look at past saints. We'll read from Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set 
before us. So as we run this race, as we live out this Christian life, one of the things we should be aware of is not just the communion of the saints present, I'll talk about that in a moment, but the communion of the saints past. Meaning there's this invisible cloud of saints who are there to encourage you and cheer you on in your faith. We, we learn from the saints in the Bible. You know, m much of just talking about there in Hebrews is a long list of faithful saints throughout the Bible that are encouraging to us today. But even then, as we mentioned from Jesus to your grandmother earlier, there are a lot of great saints in history. You, you should be reading uh, biographies of great Christians of the past. Uh, in many ways, it gives you great perspective, even in a difficult time uh, where you see us going through the coronavirus now, you look back in history and understand that Christians have dealt with much worse as far as they face many, many trials as far as their health is concerned. And, and so in regards to that, great faith of Christians in history can be encouraging to us even in times um, like this. And we're, we're encouraged um, by even the great creeds uh, like the Apostles' Creed. As we read this, we know that we stand in a long line of saints. So when it says the communion of saints, I have a connection to saints that have been reading the Apostles' Creed for decades and centuries in the past. And so it's not some new idea. It's things that come from the past. In fact, you would even say, uh, I've heard the pastor say this when you're studying the Bible. Uh, if you read a passage of the Bible, you go read a bunch of commentaries, and the way you're interpreting the passage is different than all the commentaries you've read, then you might want to think real hard about whether what you're thinking is right. In other words, if, if I'm reading my Bible different than any saint in all of history, then maybe I might not be right. I need the church and communion with me to help me in my Christian walk, including saints that aren't even alive anymore, that will be of great encouragement, and also of, of instruction as I learn to read my Bible correctly. The last group I want to talk about is communion of the saints present. We need to be careful of thinking of our faith as only me. Meaning your faith is meant to be lived in the community of believers. You may be even feeling it more acutely now because we're not able to physically gather the Christian life, as soon as you fall in love with Christ, you fall in love with the bride of Christ, the church. Your connection to Christ is a connection to the church. If you read through the New Testament, there's not a category for Christians who are not in the church and have communion with saints. And so there's not some I category for the Christian life. It is a we and us as you grow as a believer. You, you may have an individual profession of faith, which is right. Every person individually professes faith, but from that point on, from the moment you profess faith, you are now a part of the church. You are now considered a part of His church, meaning you now have fellowship with believers. From that moment on, you're no longer alone. You know, there's this, this time in particular can feel lonely. Um, you're, you're maybe at home, you're not able to go out like you would have before, either at work or to restaurants or where you might go for, for interaction with other people. But just know, as long as you're a believer, you are now a part of the we. You're a part of the family of God. 
and you're never alone. In many ways, it says communion, so we connect together, but it also says the word saint. We are now considered saints as a part of his people, meaning we're not perfect, but we're people striving for holiness and perfection. We desire to be like Christ. And as a part of that, as we try to pursue Christ, we become more holy. And it's all of us, because He is holy, we are now holy. It's reflecting off of Him. It's like the moon that reflects from the light of the sun. That Christ is the glorious holiness is the sun. And then off of that, the moon then reflects that light. In the same way we reflect His holiness in our lives. This is a part of how we live as Christians. And the church is vital to it. It's a part of how we can be encouraged in walking with the Lord. And right now in these unique days, even when you're not able to physically be here, the church is crucial to your walk with the Lord. So don't lose connection with other believers. Make sure you stay connected as you tune in to uh, our different means of videos and Sunday morning, make sure you're there singing the songs and praying along with us and reading the Bible as the pastor's preaching. And make sure during the week that you're connecting with and praying for other believers. If you can think of some people in the church that you know need to be encouraged, pick up the phone and call them. Be a part of the body of Christ and connect with people uh, so that you might be uh, encouraging and strengthening to other believers that we're called to as a family of God as a part of the body of Christ. Let me pray for you and pray for our church now that the Lord may strengthen us in the days ahead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for the encouragement the church is for us. I know for many of us just sitting here now, those watching and myself, Lord, we, we're just grateful for the church and the encouragement it has been in just these past few days. We don't know, it'd be hard to imagine, Lord, what life will be like without it. Lord, I pray now for each of the believers out there that are a part of Hickory Grove Baptist Church. Strengthen them in their walk with you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them in their connection to the other believers here at the church. And Lord, I pray that you would use Hickory Grove in their lives so they might be more made more into the image of Christ. And Lord, may we all take great confidence that Lord, no matter what comes, no matter what we face, nothing will ever separate us from the love of Christ and nothing will prevail against your church. Lord, we know those promises are true. We know you've been faithful in the past, and we trust you to be faithful in the future. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.